It is week 40 here on TechNado, and we've got an exciting episode for you. We have our intrepid field reporters right here in studio with me, going to be covering Microsoft Ignite 2018, all the exciting announcements that came out of there, summarized in one nice little podcast, starting now. All right, everybody, welcome back to TechNado. This week we are going into a slightly different format than normal because we're doing our Microsoft Ignite 2018 Roundup episode. <laughs> I have Mr. Mike Roderick and Ms. Cherokee Boost here with me in the studio, both of which were on the scene at Microsoft Ignite in Orlando, Florida this year. This guy sat right here in my office during the whole thing. So I have no idea what happened except what I saw in the news. We're going to get a first-hand accounting right here from these two about what occurred, what they saw, what they thought was cool. Uh, before I do that, I know both of you have been on the podcast at one point or another, but for our viewers who aren't familiar with you, let's, let's just do a quick introduction. Uh, Mike, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, well, I'm Mike. I've been working here at IT Pro TV for several years, and, and I teach primarily uh, the Microsoft certification tracks, the MCSA, the MCSE, uh, and the, the client side as well. Um, so that's really my primary focus. Then I dabble in a lot of scripting. Love me some PowerShell. I uh, love to work with that. But primarily Active Directory, Group Policy, DNS, DHCP, those kind of things. Awesome. And Ms. Cherokee? Yeah, so I am also an edutainer here for IT Pro TV, and I also love Microsoft and a little bit of project management and... Uh, all things Microsoft. <laughs> Trying to absorb to it all, yes. All right, well, I did. <laughs> Microsoft Ignite is a big deal, right? It used to be four different conferences. They rolled it all together a few years ago, and now you go one place and you get just overwhelmed with information. Uh, that's why we sent both of you. Uh, do you do you feel like you got to see everything you wanted to see? Absolutely not. Not at all. No, not even close. <laughs> I mean, it was huge. It was at the Orlando, or there was at the Orange County Convention Center down in Orlando, uh, which if you've never been to this, it's one of the biggest convention centers I've ever been to. Massive. Uh, and it, it was just huge. And they took up the whole place. It wasn't like they had part of it. They took up the whole place, the West Wing, the North Wing, the South Wing. They even spilled over into the Hyatt across the street yes. and took advantage of their ballrooms and spaces Crazy. there. And some of the theaters, like the Chaplin Theater, I remember, I mean, it could hold over 1,500 people, and these would be full. There were people standing outside wishing they could get in, wow. and if somebody got up and left early, they would allow a few more people in. Um, so it was a packed house. It was, it was a lot of fun, though, a lot of great vendors, a lot of uh, really good um, demonstrations and talks by the people from Microsoft, right, and the higher-up people. So it's a, a really neat time. Now, I know the, the demonstrations, the hands-on stuff, you can only do that at the conference. Mm -hmm. But the presentations that go on, all the various talks, a lot of that gets recorded, and they, they throw that online, right? So you guys know? it is online currently on demand. If you were a registrant or an attendee of the conference, I feel like it will trickle onto YouTube. I don't know when. Um, I, don't, I don't think it has yet. Yeah, I don't know if you can still register or, or sign into it. Like, I know when you go to uh, MyIgnite, um, you can uh, log in with Facebook account or your uh, account uses registration, uh, and you can get access to those in the majority of them. I have seen a few that didn't make it yet, uh, a couple where the videos had problems and they haven't been able to upload them yet, but uh, from what I understand, they're, they're working on that. So it's a great way to go back and watch uh, and get access to the, uh, the slide deck as well. All right, well, for all our viewers out there that don't have access, that didn't make it out to the conference, <laughs> right, let's, uh, let's do them a service mm -hmm. and kind of cut to the meat and potatoes of this, talk about some of the favorite things that you guys encountered. Uh, who, who wants to go first? 
Uh, ladies first. Oh, sure. Um, I have a feeling that our lists may be similar <laughs> because when we started like just talking about the different sessions we mm -hmm. attended, a lot of them were similar. Um, but there were so many people you can even see who yeah. was who was in there. I'll, one of my favorite sessions was with um, Jeffrey Snover and Jason Hellman. That was great. I think that was his last mm -hmm. name. Yeah, it was a pretty awesome session. And they were introducing um, just a lot of advancements that have been made in PowerShell and Cloud Shell and just running the different commandlets on both our Windows and Linux systems and I just really couldn't believe it. And to see even someone like Jeffrey Snover kind of um, fumble through something, it was really uh, cool and inspiring to see how down to earth he was. He said something like, um, PowerShell is such a great tool because it can even um, work for people, individuals as deeply flawed as myself. And I just thought that was a really cool for him to be, you know, just a real person. I would definitely concur with that. I, I set that session as well. And, and, you know, here at IT Pro TV, we talk about edutainers and how we try to lighten it up a little bit and, and not just be a very uh, droll lecture and, and voice over PowerPoint. And I tell you what, those two guys defined uh, edutainment because they had the audience rolling, but at the same time, you were learning a lot. You know, he was really focused on, um, and if you don't know where, this is Jeffrey Snover, he's the one that, that invented PowerShell or came up with this. Um, and he was focused on PowerShell Core, because that's where we're going, and the ability to do cross-platform management. Um, and one of the things that, I, that, that just floored me was when he ran a command uh, to retrieve services that were running on a server. But the target of this command, one was a Windows server, one was a Linux server. So with one command, he was able to query both servers, retrieve those services, and combine the results, group them, sort them, as if they all came from the same platform. Uh, and to me, that, that shows you that the power, uh, no pun intended, of PowerShell and where PowerShell is going is the ability, because they, they know, and he said it on stage. We're not the only one. We know that uh, in Azure, I think they finally made the tipping point. There's more Linux servers up there than there are Microsoft servers. So as an admin, we're not just managing Windows devices, right? We need a tool that'll allow us to do both, and that's what PowerShell Core does, and they did a great job of, of showing off that capability. You know, I was surprised about the amount of Linux news that came out of Microsoft Ignite because it is not normally like that. We heard that 51% of virtual machines in Azure now are running Linux. We heard about uh, PowerShell Core being able to run on Linux and Mac OS, which mm -hmm. is a Unix-like operating system under the hood. We started hearing about other tools that were going to be available on Linux. They, uh, they re-highlighted the fact that uh, Microsoft SQL launched on Windows and Linux at the same time with the last update. Uh, it, it sounds like that's just that's going to be our future. We're going to see Linux support out of Microsoft for now on. Would, would you guys agree? Yeah, I think so too. And they even when they released the latest version of Core, they had their partners were VMware, um, shoot now, oh VMware, AWS, and Google. And he said that when they first presented <laughs> that at their meeting, they were just like, uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> the other Microsoft execs were like, wait, you're partnering with who? Yeah. But yeah, they understand. And so that's just, you know, they want to have that more open source mentality and just having that um, unification uh, with the different technologies technologies, and being able to work on different platforms in a mixed environments. Yeah, I know. I, I can't wait until they, they make the capability to run an Active Directory server on Linux, like Active Directory in a, mm -hmm. in a container or something. Yeah. And, and to my knowledge, they still haven't announced anything on that, uh, whereas like Microsoft SQL Server, you can run on Linux mm -hmm. just in a container or as a, uh, it's not a native app, it's like an encapsulated app. Right. Uh, so, you know, eventually 
hopefully I think we'll start to see those compartmentalize and we'll get them. That'll make a big difference. There's just not, I'm a Linux guy, mm -hmm. but there's just not a good directory server on Linux. I mean, the free IPA, maybe open LDAP, maybe it's just, it's tough. So I, I'm looking forward to seeing that. Uh, let, let's move on to our next one. So, so Cherokee, you threw that one out there. Mike, how about you? Uh, gosh, you know, most of the sessions I went to were either PowerShell based. Um, in fact, there was one, I know it was, uh, what, what the guy called it, it was pretty clever. Uh, Pierre Roman uh, did this session, Step Away from the Mouse, Getting Started with Command Line Options. And he was looking at uh, different command line tools that we're going to be using nowadays to manage you know, Azure-based resources primarily. He was talking about PowerShell Core again, Azure CLI, our good old standard command prompt, which we still have. And um, really good session. It was a, a lot of real world because he's done uh, deployments for years and years and migrations. Uh, and he was talking about doing a lot of automation, um, which is another thing that, that, that Jeffrey Snover pointed out in his session. Um, but one of the things that I found was interesting was he focused in on running versus installing. You know, and this is something that I had never thought about before. We're used to like PowerShell Core, for example. When it was in beta, what do I do? I went to GitHub and I downloaded uh, and I've installed it side by side with a Windows PowerShell or PowerShell 5. Um, and you think, okay, well, when they update that, we're going to go and I'll download a new version of it or update it or what have you. Uh, and, and his point was, this is open source software and we have to think a little bit differently because in the past, we're used to getting updates regularly, but not nightly, right? With open source software, they said that in the since PowerShell Core has been released, they've had 52 updates, right? And so if you're automating, if you're writing scripts and you're using PowerShell Core and you haven't updated it in a week, you could definitely be using something that's out of date and that does not have all the latest capabilities or something has changed. And so when he, what he was meaning by install versus run, you know, if I install it, I have to go and update that. His idea, and I thought this was clever, something I actually want to try, is he was putting PowerShell Core, a Docker image, right? Using a Docker image uh, to host PowerShell Core running on, I believe he's running on uh, Windows Nano. And so what he has was a script that every time he launched this script, it would do a pull from Azure, from Git, right? And pull down the latest version of PowerShell Core and load it up. If it hadn't changed, great, fire up the container. There's my PowerShell Core. If it had changed, download it and now you're running the latest version. So every time he runs it, he's guaranteed to be running the latest version, which which I thought was kind of clever. Yeah, and that you know, used to be you would just wait for the Windows update to pull it down, or in the case of like PowerShell not being installed, you have to manually install it. Uh, so it's, it's neat to see that world. Yeah. I think everybody can probably agree that, that container containers are just the way of the future. Mm -hmm. That's something we're all going to deal with. Windows Server 2019, which uh, I imagine one of you will talk about, yeah. uh, has a lot of additional <laughs> container support. So. Is there a new server coming out? Uh, yeah. No. <laughs> I, I heard a rumor about that. but uh, You know, I, I'll jump in there on that one real quick. That is one thing that I, I was very happy to see because there was um, thoughts. You know, there, there was, I had heard that 2019 would be focused more on Azure and moving away from on-premises uh, that 2016 was our really last server designed for that hybrid environment. And one of the big things that I got out of this session was that couldn't be further from the truth. That server 2019 is designed for a hybrid environment, that they have not left the on-premises out. They understand that we're still running servers locally. They want us to move to Azure. Um, but that 2019 is designed very well to handle both sides, to work seamlessly on-premises, 
uh, and out there in Azure. So that was a, one of the big things I picked up about 2019 is the fact that it's still going to be supported, you know, uh, um, in premise, on premises. I kind of was a little upset at first because I was worried about that and. I think someone who really put it eloquently was Erin Chappelle, and she is the VP of a project management group that wor works with um, the server team. And she likened it to the um, when virtualization first came out. She said people were worried that they wouldn't be um, we wouldn't have the on-premises equipment and so forth. But in fact, that was the opposite because it increased the demand focused around the technology needs and it just increased, you know, and had more infrastructure even locally. And I thought that that was pretty cool for her to put it in that perspective. And I'm like, yeah. And I mean, it has some really awesome capabilities in server 2019 and especially with storage. And that's, and it just complements Azure so well and you know you hear this term lift and shift and they're trying to get people to mm -hmm. to move up to the cloud but i forget the exact statistics i think a lot like a year ago is around maybe 54 percent jumping to 81 percent this year when they pulled last for people who had um a migration plan already in place so that's a huge mm -hmm. shift for just one year looking at the numbers there yeah. And we've, we've kind of been seeing these cycles, like back in 2000, people were, were going through that with virtualization, saying like, ah, I'm not putting virtualization in production, that would be crazy. Uh, and then, you know, a decade later, virtualization is everywhere. And in 2010, it was the cloud. People would say, oh, I'm not putting stuff in AWS, and Azure didn't really exist then. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not going to do that. And, and here we are eight years later, and everybody's going into the cloud. <laughs> I, I'm curious in 2020 uh, what it'll be, you know, maybe uh, uh, the the dummy terminal type clients, the, the Chromebooks, where you have a laptop that's not a real, not a Absolutely, real yeah. laptop, or, you know, something like uh -huh. that. And people resisted and in yeah. 2028, everybody will have it. Like, so it's neat to see those cycles. How do you do it any cycles. other way? Yeah. 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 Surface so 20, Go. Yeah. <laughs> 2019 was definitely a, a big thing there. They, they talked about, like I said, making sure that they had the on-premises support. Um, the other thing, you, you heard a lot of the, the buzzwords, um, hyper-converged. Uh, networks 2019, you know the the uh, they were really saying how 2019 takes all of the things that we've been adding on to 2016 over the last few years and puts it out in a long-term service branch type uh, distro where hey this stuff has been tested we're now putting it into 2019 and it is uh, good to go and stable and solid, uh, but you saw hyper-converged um, software-defined networking and software-defined storage, both of which are big components of Server 2019 built in or baked into and is providing Microsoft solution for software-defined networking and software-defined storage. And with those technologies in place, you can blend your on-premises solution with your cloud. And I've seen I've seen where you can take a virtual machine and seamlessly move it up into Azure and move it back onto on-prem and stuff. It's really cool stuff. Now, Cherokee, you mentioned the, the Surface Go. Mm -hmm. uh, or is it Surface Go? Is that right? That's the the newest one. There's okay. a Surface Pro. There's a Surface Go. Did you get a chance to see the Surface lineup? Uh, did they have that highlighted at Ignite? I won a Surface <laughs> Pro. I got one, <laughs> which uh, was totally it. awesome. Um, eight gigs, two hundred and fifty six um, gig drive. Uh, it wasn't like you know one of like a a, a little cheapy. It was it was pretty nice. Mm. They didn't cheap out on that. <laughs> Already loaded up with stickers and looking good. Yeah. I know it's so fancy. Mike, what, yeah. what did you win? I got a, uh, <laughs> a little plush toy from Suse Linux. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> you got a I Linux. got the chameleon. Oh, <laughs> uh, no, but it was uh, a lot of fun. You know, the, um, I forget where I was going with that. With the, with the, oh, I was going to tell you 
uh, you know, a lot of, of what you're seeing out there, too, was this whole Azure stack. And so Cherokee and I, we need to push so we can try to get Don to spend some money uh, and we can pick up this Azure stack <laughs> where I can, you can basically run the same technology they're running out there in the cloud on premises, which then goes back to what you were talking about, is moving things back and forth. And you're, you're playing with the same technology. So this is something that I think we're going to see with the hyperconvergence, right? We talked about, or I mentioned that was a big buzz term there, you know, where we look at our, our racks now and you have storage and you have storage area networks and then you have the uh, the connections of that and then you've got your servers, you've got your switches, your routers, and they take that and they just basically hyperconverge it and use software-defined networking and software-defined storage, and so your rack becomes much smaller, much simpler. Um, and I think you're going to see more of that showing up in server closets. I think the marriage between the software and the hardware was just like unlike anything I had seen before. They really partnered with, especially Intel, um, uh, like with their Optane for their mm, memory and impressive. also like Fujitsu drives there you can they really partnered with these companies to make the best environment for this particular hardware I mean of course you can run other hardware but just to be able to in a one-stop shop in the Adminis, um, Windows Admin Center and there were a lot of advancements with that also but you didn't have to go to multiple places to check on your hardware it was all there and I'm sure you'll talk more about the Optane memory because you were pretty excited about that too. I, I really was. Don, have you heard of the Optane? I, you know, I, I've, I've seen a little bit about it. They've achieved all new speeds, all new capacity and all new prices. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Luckily, I mean, they didn't go into the prices obviously. So it's not uh, out yet for a regular purchase. They said no. early 2019. Yeah. Because I wanted to see how much that was. I'm like, hmm. If you have to ask, we can't afford it. <laughs> That's exactly. right. <laughs> but for those of you that aren't familiar with it, you know, we're talking about, we've seen it over, over, the, over the years, right, as we move things, we want things faster and faster with, with uh, flash-based RAM. Uh, we keep moving it closer and closer to the processor. The shorter the distance, the less latency we have. Um, and we've made it from external, you know, plugging it into USB port to into PCI, its own bus. Um, NVMe. NVMe. And now we're talking about a stick of RAM that you can actually divide up and use part of it for RAM and part of it as storage or caching for the processor, or you can and you can even dynamically assign uh, the space within there. And they went from, uh, and these numbers are just mind-boggling. They almost don't make sense. <laughs> but last year, or uh, maybe it was two years ago at Ignite, they did a test and they made six million IOPS using what, sixteen different nodes. Yep. I believe it was uh, in this little test. Obviously, this was a uh, test um, environment a, and highly a, controlled. Yes, this wasn't <laughs> something you're going to build and put in your rack. Um, but six million IOPS per second, which is pretty darn impressive. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Well, now they've gone to this Optane DC memory. They dropped the nodes from 16 to 12, and they turned in 13 million IOPS per second. Wow. With 12 nodes, not with, 16. With 12 nodes, so yeah. less nodes. And they over doubled, you know, more than doubled their their IOPS per second. Um, so they call that storage class memory and Optane D. What is it? DS, DC, DC or, or DS? DS? Uh, yeah. That's the actual manufacturer's name mm -hmm. for Intel, which you know is really designed to work with those Xeon processors. They work together with that, but it was so impressive. It, it really was to watch those numbers tick off, and you're like, it's got to stop around seven, no, maybe eight, 
it's still going. And it just kept spinning up. They had this you know, program that was spinning up VMs, uh, and they just kept adding more and more and more. Uh, and you saw that none of the VMs were choking. None of them worried. They were all greenlit, and they were just getting all the, the access they needed to that storage. Or wow. to that, uh, that memory. I'm, I'm thinking in terms of like uh, AWS. When I do a provisioned IOPS instance in AWS, mm -hmm. uh, I believe the maximum value is 10,000 IOPS. 10, and, you know, you're talking about <laughs> millions of IOPS. That's that's really impressive storage it access. It is. And that'll trickle down to us eventually and give us some of that performance. Numbers were just huge on a lot of things, even storage. Like with FileSync, I want to say per volume up to 100 terabytes of storage. Um, they're really trying to push for that to give you... Um, Free, they say free, but that's kind of a you know what do I have to? <laughs> but that amount of storage per volume, that's crazy. Wow. It, um, Jeff Woolsey did a great demonstration on showing off some of the storage migration and moving. They really want you to move to Azure, right? They, so they, as you said, they're giving you free storage, mm -hmm. free storage. Um, but if you're taking your file server and you're migrating it up to Azure. With a few simple clicks within Windows Admin Center, you can start this migration process, and it does everything for you. It, it monitors what's going on. It moves those files up there. Uh, your users never even know that it has moved. Um, it gives you reports on every single file that was moved all through one interface, and that's the Windows Admin Center, and that was another big thing that was pushed in just about every session I went to. Right, so you could have that file sync, storage class memory management access, as well as container access, which I thought was crazy because you could even get event logs for the containers just from the Windows admin interface. And I mean, it's a one-stop shop. Like for GUI tools, it's pretty impressive. You know, let's talk about the Windows Admin Center a little bit. You know, that's the former Project Honolulu, mm -hmm. right? And, and now it's Windows Admin Center, which in the beginning, wasn't terribly feature rich, and so I, I liked it. I liked the idea of web-based management of the servers, but I was frustrated that I had to go to different tools. Mm -hmm. uh, I know, Cherokee, you, you saw some new yep. advancements there, right? Yeah, so those were kind of notably some of the bigger things were the file sync container support, um, and what was the other thing? Oh, the storage class memory. So those are some, mm -hmm. like, at least three that really stand out because they're really cool, number one. And it's just a really, like Mike said, it almost seems like it's too easy. It's very simple and elegant user interface. Like they really thought it through. And I, I feel like managing clusters, all of that, all done. Their big, their big slogan was a single pane of glass to manage it all. You know, and that's it. Really, it replaces. I'm old school, right? I'm used to all my different MMCs, my Active Directory users and computers, my sites and services, domains and trust. You know, all this stuff. My Hyper V console. Um, I create MMCs all the time. This is supposed to replace all that, and it, it really does a good job of uh, making it, as you said, very friendly, easy to navigate, and that was their, their goal. When you listen to some of the project managers uh, from Project Honolulu or from the Windows Admin Center, you know, that, that was the idea. We want to make this very intuitive, very easy to use, giving you lots of information, but not so much that you just feel overwhelmed. You know, Adam Gordon sent me one of the announcements that uh, was talking about Microsoft SQL Server having its management studio integrated inside of Windows Admin Center now, which I think is awesome because that the the uh, SQL Enterprise Management Studio, like that thing is it's huge. It's a pain to install, and so it's nice to have that all web embedded. So it's cool to see that going on. Uh, do we hear any updates on Microsoft Exchange? I stayed away from Exchange. Um, <laughs> there's going to be, hold on, uh, Exchange Server 2019 running on core for 19. That was my notes here for right beforehand. I was trying to write down some of the notable things, and I don't really play in um, 
in Exchange Server too much, but I thought that that was pretty cool that that's the de facto deployment now is to go ahead and run it on core. And, mm -hmm. and, and when you say core, you're talking about a core services install of Windows Server, right? Not not like PowerShell core, right? Right. Okay. Yeah. So uh, I think we're seeing that with, with most of the products now. Mm -hmm. uh, Windows Server 2019, I think you, you have to do a core install now, right? Is there a GUI They've install for They've added re just recently, with because it's generally available now, 2019 as of October here, uh, generally available to the public. Um, but it is, they did add back a GUI install option. Um, haven't seen it, because when I downloaded the... Uh, the preview not too long ago, it still was core only. Mm -hmm. uh, before when I was reading what I was hearing out there at the conference, um, they are going to add the GUI install option back because enough people wanted it. Hmm. The last release candidate that I worked with, which admittedly was over a month ago, uh, it did a core services install, and then you could enable the desktop experience, which you'd mm -hmm. use for a terminal server. So it gave you a GUI, but it had you know desktop-y stuff on there, which you wouldn't normally want. So that middle ground of having a server GUI was missing. And, and I think they're kind of falling right in between that. Like, it's not going to be a full-blown uh, GUI, but it is going to give you enough to where, like, not everything that you would expect with that desktop experience uh, is going to be there, but you are still going to have a GUI uh, to administer it. Um, and, and then, you know, get away from 2019 for a second, because I know we're, how we're doing here on time. <laughs> um, the other big thing was the, um, I, I think, Cherokee, I think you mentioned the term lift and shift. Mm -hmm. uh, and I know Ronnie recently did a, uh, a webinar, I think, on desktop as a service. And if you left the server part and you went over towards the client side, um, this was everywhere. Modern desktops, Microsoft 365, and you're re we're really getting close to the point where you don't use, you don't deploy the way you do methods. anymore. Yeah. Yeah. You, if you bought your user a new laptop, right, it's going to come with maybe Windows 10 installed on it. Um, they're going to log in for the first time right from the OOBE, from the out-of-box experience. They're going to log in with their work account. It's going to reach out to your Azure and it's going to grab all of your Intune, whatever else you're using to do your mobile device management, and configure that device with everything it needs. Um, there's, there's, it, it's a lot of, yeah, changing. a lot of, and it's kind of that weird, the traditional or classic deployment or um, environment is, you know, and then the modern environment with things like autopilot and Intune, different types of MDM there. So they have to kind of support both of those and then just kind of getting ready for people to transition into the, the modern tech world. Yeah. Will, and, will that handle application deployment as well? I, I, like settings and some, options, those are easy. Somewhat. Uh, you know, Intune, at least from what I've seen so far, doesn't handle all of your applications and a lot of the Microsoft stuff. Um, so, But again, it, it's hard for me to think about it this way, but we don't use traditional desktop apps anymore either, right? I'm not That's installing uh, Photoshop. I'm getting an app from the Microsoft Store. So with yes, can I do, I can absolutely do that with Intune. And I guess if it if it's phoning home and connecting your Azure environment, right, and connecting your Azure directory, then it would just be one more step to get it connected up to like a system center configuration manager, and then you could push apps that way. Yes, if you had old so. school apps. But really, what they're telling you to do is, is use MDM, set up your own uh, Microsoft Store for business, all of your apps oh, that you're going to be thing. putting yep. out. <laughs> I, know, right? I did too. You just wrote him like, oh yeah, yeah. Yep. You know, that's <laughs> where we're supposed to have our applications so that users can browse up there and and pick the ones we've chosen, or we push them out to them. Um, so it's really a big change in the way we're going to be deploying the the client side and managing it. You know, and a lot of tools like the. Uh, the Int I don't know if they call it the Intune migration or the group policy migration tool. I forget the name of this, but they've got tools now to analyze your group policies oh. and see are there comparable settings in MDM. 
um, you know, in so Intune. just making that shift there. And, and the team was really cool when they talked about it. They're like, we, we, they, the way they broke it down is they, obviously, they get a lot of the uh, analytics back policies. if you opt in. Um, and they've looked at the most common settings that people need. Um, and they've taken into account what people with their hearing complaints about what's not there. And those are the ones they focused on first. Because um, there are some settings, you know, that... And they also encourage people to really evaluate those missing um, policies to see if they're even really needed because some of... They may be, you know, they may have outlived their use in certain cases. Absolutely. And especially when we think about these are probably not domain-joined devices anymore, right? We're, we're getting away from that. These are uh, home users' laptops, Android devices, uh, Apple devices... Uh, Windows tablets, you know, surfaces, things like that. That is a, a huge change in thought that, you know, it used to be that all of your machines were company issued and they were domain joined and the administrators had full access. And now we're entering this world where you don't even necessarily know what kind of computer somebody has and you're pushing resources out. And Microsoft's support of, well, Mac OS and Windows, mm -hmm. you can deploy Office and, and manage those systems. It, it's it's a big deal. Like it it's is. A really So I neat even time. heard someone say, I think it was Jeffrey Snover, that we are entering into the fourth industrial revolution. What do you think, Don? Do you think that that's kind of a stretch? I yeah, I would say that's a bit <laughs> of a stretch. Well, I mean, it, you know, some people talk about uh, the computer revolution versus the industrial revolution because I I don't feel like what I do is industrial because yeah. I always think of smokestacks, <laughs> yeah. conveyor belts, and all Life that. Like soot off your face every night. But, yeah. You know, we have been leaping forward in technology year over year. I kind of feel like we're almost going backwards though if you think about like hmm. we had the mainframe days and dummy terminals sure. and with the cloud the cloud has become our new mainframe and these low-cost laptops and and thin clients and stuff are becoming our dummy terminals again we're we're almost back full Devolving. circle it just, it just looks a lot prettier <laughs> yeah, right yeah your mainframe has moved out to the cloud now um yeah. but your dumb terminal is not dumb it's you're able to do your own personal stuff on it and we can segregate personal and work information sure. on that same device uh, and manage it for you. Yeah, and web-based applications. I'm not. I'm not trying to talk bad about this. I, I love web-based applications. I don't have stuff I have to maintain. If if something goes wrong and I have to format my laptop, that used to be pain. It used to be three days of work to get it reconfigured exactly the way I want. Now it's install the web browser I like, yeah. and, and I'm done. Right, <laughs> everything else is back and, and in business. So that that's always cool to see. Mm -hmm. um, was there anything on the Office 365 front, or was this mostly just focused on Azure? I haven't got that far. Okay. Uh, you're still digging through the, uh, the yeah, sessions you the didn't sessions. get to attend? Yeah, yeah. those were some that I, I didn't want to wait. They I were towards to the bottom of the list, yeah. yeah, yeah. So. Um, but there was definitely some stuff out there. <laughs> There's a lot, yeah. Uh, and again, it kind of goes back to what you were saying about how it's not just Windows anymore. You know, we can install Office on other platforms, which is kind of crazy. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the things that uh, Jeff Snover had said was, it was it's you know, this is not your... Uh, your father's Microsoft, I think, or some made some comment like that. And just it was kind of funny when he said it, but it, it's true. It's not they, it's not the same organization um, from top to bottom. I think it's they they embrace open source and they embrace other platforms, and that's just a uh, completely different from the way it was when. I mean, I haven't been doing this that long I've, since two thousand four, and it's completely different from when I started. Yeah, it really has changed. It, it has changed a lot, and I think a lot of that goes down to Satya Nadella mm -hmm. and how sure. he has a, a developer mind, and he's much more appreciative of, of open source initiatives and, and trying to coexist with a lot of this stuff. I, that stat of 51% of servers in Azure being Linux is amazing to me, and I'm, I'm still surprised at this very moment. I, I, really, I really did think Microsoft was going to announce 
Microsoft Linux, <laughs> right? Because they already do have their own little version of Linux they're using for some of their products internally. I, I think it's just a matter of time before they do it. There, there's Amazon Linux, right? right? Uh, yeah. it, it makes sense that no, in Azure, at all. in Azure, they've chosen to partner up with um, uh, Canonical for Ubuntu mm -hmm. and Red Hat for Red Hat Enterprise Linux. Uh, but it it just makes sense. They have so many developers, such a, a talented team that there's got to be a Microsoft Linux before too long. Uh, and in fact, that reminds me of another session I went to that was uh, talking about the Windows subsystem for Linux. Now, and how easy it is now. I can go to the Microsoft Store and I can download the Ubuntu app or the Kali app and I can run this operating system on my machine side by side. I can have three different Linux uh, shells open running from three different platforms right along with my Windows. You know, and for the pen testers that are out there, I know a lot of the pen testers that I have spoken to, the actual field pen testers, run Windows. Mm -hmm. And I've asked about that. I said, you know, Kali Linux is so popular and all these tools are written for Linux. Why do you run Windows? And it's because a lot of them love the PowerShell. Mm -hmm. They use the PowerShell to write all sorts of scripts and do things. Well, now you've kind of got these two choices. You can run PowerShell on Linux, mm -hmm. and so now you get the best of both worlds, or you can run Linux on top of Windows. And the Windows subsystem for Linux is really slick. It launched with just Ubuntu, but since then, I mean, you can now do SUSE Linux yep. in the, the subsystem, and there's a couple others. I think, like there's, there's, I think there's at least five in the store right now, uh, and the team was talking about partnering up with additional ones. Uh, maybe, you know, somebody in the audience asked about CentOS. CentOS um, uh, I think but, they brought up a really good point about for, um, like, you know, Windows-based admins that are already familiar with PowerShell, being able to administer those Nix-based systems, it's doubling the value of that admin. So, I mean, that's, you know, a lot of people, especially people who are studying and students, they kind of, it's almost impossible, I would say, in these days, but you still have those people who are trying to resist the change. But even just that one little statement should put things into perspective for you. All right. Well, it sounds like you guys got to see a whole heck of a lot. I know you're still sifting through stuff, so maybe we'll do a follow-up episode later on with any other new announcements that we have. We'll certainly have more coverage as more about Windows Server 2019 comes out. Mm -hmm. uh, it is available for download. You can go and pull it right now. The The newest release of Windows 10 with the update, it's also available for download. These are, is it the 1809? 1809. 1809. 1809. And we get a, a dark theme finally <laughs> added to Windows Explorer. Uh, that was the one I've been waiting for. I am, I'm, you know, it's Apple like, did this too. Like, Mike. How hard is it to make a dark theme? But they're all advertising it like it's the second coming. <laughs> they, you know, Windows has had a dark theme for a while, but there were certain apps for some reason. Yeah, they just didn't Weren't do or compatible. couldn't do. I don't know. Well, good but, to know. Yeah. Yeah. But now that now that that's solved, we can move on to curing uh, cancer. Yeah. <laughs> I can live my life now. All right. Well, I'm glad you both had a lot of fun out there at the conference. Uh, you know, they have announced Microsoft Ignite 2019, which November. is also going to be in Orlando, Florida. IT Pro TV will definitely be there. Uh, you do will most likely be there, yeah. so uh, definitely be sure to check that out. Uh, and you know, just keep an eye on IT Pro TV as more announcements start to come out from us, and we try and filter and decipher all the data because <laughs> it is a huge amount of information. It, it really is. All right. Well, thank you both for being our field reporters, and You're thanks welcome. for appearing here on mm -hmm. the podcast. I appreciate it. I know the viewers do as well. Uh, very welcome. All right, well, for everybody out there in TV land, that's it for this episode. Thanks for tuning in. Be sure to tune in next week for more Technado right here. Same bat time, same bat channel. Now I'm going to have to license that phrase. Uh, <laughs> uh, whatever. But uh, thank you all for watching. This has been Technado. I'm Don Pizzette. We'll see you next time.